Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Sir Michael Singleton Show. I was joking with my guest, who's a longtime friend, and I'm going to give his complete bio shortly. I said, man, I was rushing in a suit. I am hot as heck, but I could not miss the show. So thank you guys for rocking with me uh, for another Saturday. We're going to have a really interesting show today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Ukraine-Russia conflict, especially what's going on in Russia right now. Uh, and we're also going to talk about China and China's expansion within their region throughout Africa and also in our hemisphere. And my guest is indeed the perfect person to help me break this all down. I have none other than Joel Rubin. He's a democratic strategist, national security expert, Jewish community leader, and local government elected official with more than two decades of political, legislative, and media experience in Washington, D.C. He is also a Center Clip creator. And as you guys know, at the end of every Saturday, I call it my Center Clip Saturday, where I bring on uh, other creators from the Center Clip app, which is an app that you guys know I am on. I talk about it often. It's it's a, a great place to be if you like politics, if you want to hear from people in a sort of nonpartisan way, then you should indeed go to Center Clip. Uh, check it out where you will hear voices such as my own, such as Joel Rubin. And we've had so many others that have come on the program who are creators on the app. These folks are doing this for free. They're not getting paid to do this, uh, but it allows them to have a space to provide their expertise on a very a multitude of subjects, I should say, free of charge to you as a consumer. So go and check that out. Uh, nevertheless, Joel is a former Obama administration deputy assistant secretary of state for legislative affairs. He was a former congressional candidate and Jewish organizational executive director who has worked across all sectors of Washington's foreign policy, legislative and advocacy communities. And so, again, I, I just want to remind you guys, this guy is a former Obama administration deputy assistant secretary of state. And, and, and I want to put emphasis on that deputy assistant secretary of state because he has a, a tremendous amount of experience and a really unique expertise on foreign policy and foreign affairs, which is why I wanted to have Joel on the program. He also served uh, as the Middle East foreign policy volunteer for the Obama or for the Biden rather Harris 2020 campaign, as well as a Jewish outreach director for Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign. So so Joel's political experience starts with Obama. He continues with Biden Harris advising them on Middle East foreign policy. He also advised Bernie Sanders when he ran for president in 2020. So again, not to brag on my friend here, but I have a lot of respect and admiration for this guy. This is someone who knows what the hell he's talking about. Joel, welcome to the program. 
Oh, sure, Michael, you, you, you make me blush. You are a national <laughs> treasure. And I am, I am, uh, I'm going to save that clip and share it with my mother and my wife and my daughters, uh, <laughs> uh, to thank them for all their, their uh, willingness to work with me as I've worked in all those jobs. But yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's really exciting to be with you today. Thanks so much. And our timing is perfect. No, it is, man. And thank you uh, for, for joining me, Joel. And again, guys, Joel and I are both creators on CenterClip. Check out CenterClip.com. Uh, you can hear from folks like Joel, Jennifer Horn, who's a co-founder of the Lincoln Project, uh, which really took Donald Trump to task during the 2020 election, uh, trying to keep Republicans honest. We've had Ted Rawl on the show. Uh, we've had so many other individuals on the program to sort of promote our end of the month center clip saturday so i encourage you guys to go and uh, download the app and listen to some of these incredible voices on a range of issues from business economics uh, politics domestic and foreign so joel we've known each other a long time we used to do a lot of tv together it's been a while because of the whole craziness of the COVID pandemic but i want to start with russia first it's all over the place what's going on in, in russia right now apparently vladimir putin has fled the country or at least went somewhere out of the city i don't know how accurate that reporting is but i want to get your initial thoughts and reactions on what we're seeing in russia right now well you know sir michael we're seeing this sort of predictable collapse of the russian military mafia that has led their country into this horrendous invasion of a neighboring country that's cost tens of thousands of lives, uh, more than 300,000 people wounded, uh, about 12 to 14 million displaced inside of Ukraine, all for nothing. So it's almost fitting that right now for, for folks who are listening, uh, the Wagner Group, which is uh, uh, sort of a, a Blackwater uh, in the most violent way of the Russian military, like what we had when we were in Iraq and we would have contractors to sort of do dirty fighting on our behalf when we didn't want to send U.S. Uh, Army uh, troops into those battles. Uh, the the Wagner Group, they're a, a human rights violator uh, bar, bar none. They, they are the worst of the worst. They're on all of the terrorism lists, they're on all of the sanctions lists, and they have been essentially rented by Vladimir Putin to try to fight this war that he can't win. And now they're turning their guns on him. So, you know, there's a lot of chatter, like there is in wartime, who knows what's happening next. Just something popped up a moment ago that the dictator of, of Belarus negotiated a truce between the head of the Wagner group and Vladimir Putin. So now they won't go to Moscow, but maybe, you know, they'll ex expect something. I don't know how this is going to shake out, but what I do know is that we are seeing the Russian invasion war effort collapse on its face and threatening potentially to take down Russia's ruling military elite with it. And, and, and Joel, in terms of the potential implications that this could have on Russia's conflict with Ukraine, what would you yeah. say that is? Does this, I, I mean, I would presume this would arguably weaken russia and, and give some level of an advantage to the ukrainians but i have to be honest joel i'm also concerned that when you put someone in a corner such as a putin they may react in ways that could be really horrific so i want to i want you to sort of break that down if you will yeah there there it's a great framing sure michael there there are a couple things happening right now at the same time uh mm -hmm. first and foremost ukraine 
launched uh, over the last couple of weeks the long-anticipated spring offensive that it is now waging to try to take back Ukrainian territory from Russian troops. That spring offensive has been uh, uh, capitalized essentially by the West, by the U.S. and NATO countries. We've provided uh, significant weaponry, uh, tanks, armor, uh, munitions to help Ukraine get ready for that push. Now, in that push, in between the Russian military and Ukraine is the Wagner Group. And the Wagner Group has gotten crushed. And they they, they ended up losing about 20,000 lives to take a city called Kherson, which basically was eliminated from the map, uh, mm-hmm. but at tremendous cost. So that's underway. Now, Russia, to your point, they're sending lots of missiles into populated areas, attacking civilians in Kyiv. Uh, another uh, slew were sent last night, shot down, fortunately, by our Patriot missile batteries. Um, and, and so... So this is an opportunity right now with this sort of fighting between the Wagner Group and the Russian military, where the Wagner Group has publicly complained that they're not getting the support from the Russian regular forces that they need to win, which uh, essentially all the finger pointing is underway. Uh, This is an opportunity for Ukraine to really advance its spring offensive. And to your, your core point, what will Vladimir Putin do in response? Well, first, he's trying to survive the day against the Wagner Group. But second, he has continually threatened the use of nuclear weapons. But I think that's a paper tiger. I, I think the expert community, and I've worked on nuclear weapons issues for a number of years, look at that and uh, look at that as the kind of threat that does not have teeth. And if he is getting attacked by the Wagner Group in the near and then trying to withstand the spring offensive, uh, he's running out of resources right now. One more thing to mention. Mm-hmm. is that Russia essentially is getting its military support from Iran right now. Uh, very small countries are supplying the Russian military. It's not getting the lethal support from China. Uh, it's getting it from Iran, and it's manufacturing it. So this is, this is, this is sort of, this is sort of um, uh, a period where Putin has to judge what is the most necessary fight for his survival. It had been thought to win the war in Ukraine. It may now very well be just to prevent the Wagner Group and others in the Russian military from launching a coup against him. And I and I, and I, I, I you you're right about that in, in terms of Putin's I guess recognition of constantly needing to take steps for survivability, but I do think you're right um as you sort of lay out the case that the calculation here was clearly incorrect. I mean, I, I think if that yeah. weren't the case, we wouldn't see uh, Prigozhin attempting to take control of the capital of Moscow. Now, Joel, I'm just looking at some breaking news reports that just came out here. Apparently, he's decided to turn back. Right. And the reports are that Russian, the Russian Ministry of Defense leadership will change in exchange for a halting it's at uh, the further advance on Moscow and taking control of the capital. Do you believe that to be true? Do, do you, you know, and what does that say in terms of Putin's power? If it is true that he's now willing to make drastic changes to the defense leadership that may not be beneficial to him maintaining control. So these are just words. Gotcha. What we're okay. seeing mm-hmm. and the the brittle nature of the Russian mafia state, the oligarchic leadership, uh, is it being exposed? 
I think from an American national security perspective, try to put on our lane here, uh, our allies in NATO that are posted alongside this completely unpredictable wild war front to the mm-hmm. east are they are now meeting. They're currently meeting. The president is getting continually briefed. Unlike President Trump, he will not be tweeting reckless, ridiculous arguments, (laughs) (laughs) egging on Putin or Prigozhin. Who knows which Russian he wants to support today, right? Like, like this is. I have to say, on a domestic political front, this is kind of, kind of like just desserts for those who who really are comfortable with saying that uh, we should just let Vladimir Putin do what he wants to do. Now, what do they say? Who are they for, right? So, so I think what we're going to see is is a steady uh, uh, is solidification of NATO and Ukraine. And Ukraine, <laughs> right now, has been begging to become a member of NATO, and they they're waiting on a decision. This will facilitate that even further into getting Ukraine into the NATO belt to really solidify the Eastern Front of Europe. Mm-hmm. so that it doesn't have to deal with this ridiculous meltdown that we're going to see because these are fragile states. Remember, you know, I, I, I'm old enough to remember. I'm not sure if you are because you're, you're, you're so spectacular at such a young age. <laughs> I, I remember when the Soviet Union collapsed. I was in college, and that just collapsed. And it was overnight, Shermichael. It just happened. And you know what? We knew nothing about what was about to happen. American mm-hmm. intelligence mm-hmm. never catches those collapses so right now things are happening and that kremlin even for kremlin experts they don't know what's going on half the time right now it's impossible to say what will happen in the next half day to day to two days vladimir putin could be on a plane to beijing tomorrow morning uh or 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 riyadh or or probably dubai would be my bet and 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 that's that (laughs) that's that yeah, we're look, Joel. Man, I, I am worried about this in part because Russia is a nuclear state. Yes. Uh, but when we come back, Joel, I want to unpack this a little bit more before we move on to uh, Ukraine and then China. Guys, this is Sure Michael Singleton. You're listening to the Sure Michael Singleton Show, and my guest, Joel Rubin, uh, former Obama administration deputy assistant secretary of state. We'll be right back after this quick break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. My good friend, uh, Joel Rubin, he's uh, the former deputy assistant secretary of state 
uh, for the Obama administration. And this is a crazy day. I mean, we're talking about what's going on in, in Russia right now. Uh, what's going on with Vladimir Putin? Is he able to somehow survive this? Does he ultimately get removed? Does he is he murdered at some point? I mean, there's a lot going on right now and the implications for what this could even mean for the United States and, and the rest of the world, the international community, for that matter, is significantly staggering. So, so, so Joel, what, 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 why? I mean, some folks are saying Fritzko and Wagner, you know, this whole idea of the group that he, he I guess, oversees as a Wagner group, that is, that. This is not in America's best interest because this guy is worse than Putin. Some analysts that I'm looking at and following right now on social media that are breaking this down are saying this could potentially be good for the U.S. Why are we not putting sanctions on the Wagner Group? Are we trying to assess what's going on? Joe, explain all of this uh, because this is all breaking news. I mean, literally, as we're live on the show. Yeah, no, sure, Michael. Great, great flag on, on this, uh, Ashkin, for, for, for picking it up. Look. This is not our fight. The Pergozin Putin fight has been an ongoing battle for a number of months now, rhetorically. Mm -hmm. This is their fight. And from an American national security perspective, we're going to place sanctions on actors that deserve to get these sanctions. And uh, right now, what it looks like the judgment is, is hold back and see what happens, right? The sanctions are just a tool. Like one of the things that people um, sometimes miss in the, in the Washington debate when they talk about sanctions is that they think it fixes it all, right? You got the sanction, the, the, the target no longer gets any revenue and they're done. No, sanctions have been ongoing uh, at target countries for decades against Iran, against Cuba. We're always looking for more sanctions. So the people who administer sanctions at the Treasury Department and the State Department primarily, they are constantly using little dials. Think of it as like dials where they're turning up the heat, where they're waiting to see a reaction. But mm -hmm. th these are tools to put pressure. And so right now they're looking at the pressure, they're looking at the fight, they're saying, uh-huh, what we've been doing is working. <laughs> There's a mess <laughs> over there. And you know what? Let's just see. It's it's sort of like like uh, musical chairs when people are going around, and then th that one person then just pulls the chair a little bit back, and 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 then the person who is about to sit in falls on their butt, right? Like boom. So so that's what's going on inside the administration right now. There's a lot of this, and I, I've been on a lot of discussions with the administration for the last couple of years. Uh, about Ukraine. And um, earlier in my career, I actually, <laughs> it's fine. I served in the Bush administration as a civil servant at the State Department, and I worked on military affairs. And this sort of dynamic moment where you're looking at the military calculation, the sanctions calculation, the public messaging, which you touched on a moment ago about what Lukashenko is saying, and you know the information space, all of that is coming together. And so President Biden is getting all that inputted, and I bet he's looking at his team, they're looking, they're saying, you know what, let's just wait and see what happens. Boy, this this is, wow, Joel, this is crazy. Guys, if, if you're listening to the show and you have some questions uh, for Joel about what's going on in Russia, uh, what this all means, the impact that this could have on the United States. Um, I, I My next follow-up with Joel, I, I'm curious to know the impact on the financial markets internationally. So, so Joel, in terms of the impacts internationally, what is that? What does it look like? I mean, is, is the rest of the 
international community sort of watching to see what happens? Are there going to be some players that may try to have some influence behind the scenes? I mean, what does that look like? Because you, you've you been in the room when these things have sort of happened, when these conversations were a part of what, what decisions do we make? What do we do strategically here uh, so that our interest is at the forefront, but also so that we don't see a complete destabilization of a major country with nuclear weapons? Perfect question. Um, look, there are uh, first diagnosing the issue, right? Like, which is is markets, in particular, energy markets respond uh, with major gyrations when there's instability. They respond in ways that harm consumers. They they spike prices. Uh, uh, they're very sensitive to uh, strategic uh, environment changes. So so that is something to watch. So I think what you're going to see, you know, it's sort of like when a bank collapses over the weekend and there's an emergency meeting janet yellen announcing a bailout on a sunday night i think what we're going to start to see pretty quickly are uh three things first uh statements of reassurance of security and stability between the united states and nato our nato allies are the bulwark of security in europe and they are at the front right now of this major instability this crisis collapse of internal uh, dynamics in Moscow. So that's one. So sort of a reassurance across the board on on the, the military security side. Uh, two, I think you're going to probably see signals about the strategic petroleum reserve. That's just a hunch. But that that's sort of, that's critical to say that any supplies, anything that uh, it may potentially be, be put at risk, any of that security, like we are the U.S. willing to engage in that step up, the president step up. Uh, and then third, uh, you're going to see uh, a significant amount of diplomatic statements, diplomatic arguments about uh, the crucial importance of this war ending, of of uh, Russia ending its invasion of Ukraine, of calling on Russia to desist, putting the pressure on again and again and again. And through that, there are two key players here that the U.S., has just engaged in the last 10 days or so that really matter. The first is China. Secretary Blinken was out there. China has tremendous influence inside Moscow. They are in many ways the the, the ally of last resort for Moscow. What will they do to stabilize it? Because they do not want a politically broken uh, Russia next door with nuclear weapons either. And the second is India. Uh, just had mm-hmm. Modi here mm-hmm. for a major state visit. Uh, India is essentially the number one global purchaser of Russian oil. And they launder that oil and sell it cheap back out. And it's sort of like a, a wink and a nod game that's going on so India can survive. And um, it's a it's a tough deal. But Modi was just here. So what's India going to do? How are they going to lean in on this? Uh, uh, there are real alliance opportunities. And so we're going to start to see some of that activity as well. And I think it's, it's going to it's going to require sending significant signals. So to your first core question, market impact, that markets are not suddenly sent into chaos because Russia's uh, political military situation is chaotic. Got it. Got it. And and in terms of you mentioned China, which I know plays a, a big role here. Um, Modi, I didn't even think about India in terms of being the number one purchaser of, of Russian energy, which is a really good thought process. Here. And, and I don't think, Joel, did, did Modi, I mean, I tried to watch and follow many of his remarks. I don't remember him speaking on the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Did he? 
<laughs> no, there were two things that weren't mentioned. One was the Russia-Ukraine conflict by him, and the other was like human rights by you know uh, publicly uh, uh, our, our democracy by our president in any aggressive way either. That was all behind closed doors. That was their public messaging was all about friendship and partnership and alliance building and, and the tough issues they they kept uh, behind the scenes. Well, I get it. I guess Modi's trying to be smart here. So, Joel, from what I'm seeing now, all these upcoming news reports are saying the coup is finally over. Uh, the Wagner Group has everything that they want. We'll see if Putin actually follows through on this. What does this tell us? Oh, his word is his word is really trustworthy. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> no pun intended, right? <laughs> so, so, Joel, what does this tell us, though? Uh, diplomats in the United States, experts such as yourself, what does this indicate in terms of Russia's interest and ability to continue the conflict in Ukraine? Do do you expect to see some changes over the next couple of weeks, or do you think Putin is going to try and save face and continue uh, with the same, uh, I guess, level of, of focus and, and attention he has over the past couple of months? <laughs> I mean... Sorry, I, I laugh because I, 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 I'm trying to imagine a scenario where somehow this ends well for Vladimir Putin. But, you know, mm. I, I should I should not laugh that well. You know, this this is hard stuff. But look, the driver for this sort of internal conflict is one thing and one thing only Ukraine's resistance and effective fighting against Russia, period. That that has blown up the Putin theory and you even heard Prigozhin, the, the head of Wagner Group, complaining about it yesterday or so and prior to his announcement of, of, of uh, interest, his interest in sacking Moscow. He said, Vladimir Putin basically lied to us and lied to you, Russia. He claimed mm-hmm. that Ukraine was a threat, that Ukraine was going to invade. None of that is true. So there's a great irony here is that Prigozhin is the truth teller to the Russian people rather than Vladimir Putin. Um as long as Ukraine continues to do what it does and it be effective as it has been effective, and it will only get more effective as the F-16 starts showing up, mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to work out well for Prigozhin and Putin. They are they are in internal chaos. The, the big question militarily is if and when will Ukraine go for the Crimea? And, and that is hardened turf, eight years of Russian occupation and control. Uh, and that could really destabilize uh, Russia even further. Uh, but, you know, right now it, it's Ukraine's push. The idea of them kissing and making up after the death threats and and uh, all of this, I mean, this is an extraordinarily temporary pause. Uh, it's impossible. This is, if I may, one more thing. This mm-hmm. is not like it came out of thin air. Um, Prigozhin has been complaining for months about Russia, Russian so, military. So, so, Joe, wait a minute, pause. This I is just, just one sure point. Mm-hmm. Hold on real quick. So, before you continue, so you're saying these new alerts that you know an agreement has been reached. You're saying right now that you don't think this is going to last. I do not. Wow, this has been an okay. ongoing, multi-month series of complaints by Prigozhin about the Russian military and its ineffectiveness, the failure to provide weapons that he needs to quote win. Now he's complaining that it was unwinnable, essentially, anyways, and they shouldn't be there. Uh, this is just. There's like a a context of complaints. Uh, This is just one more milestone in that series of complaints. So uh, it may pause for a moment because, frankly, he was getting really close. Maybe he doesn't have the ability to take Moscow and just create chaos. But um, as long as Ukraine continues to do what it's doing, 
this this uh, this moment of pause is going to be temporary. Yikes. Look, guys, I'm going to take another quick break. Um, I usually try to go around 235, so I'm about three minutes early, but I have some further questions for Joel to unpack this to help me understand it as well as you guys. And so I want to make sure we have enough time without having to take another break. So uh, my guest for today's show, former Obama Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, Joel Rubin, who's a longtime friend. This guy knows this stuff well. And when I thought about bringing on someone from Center Clip to be on the show, I said it has to be Joel because of what's going on uh, internationally right now, spe- specifically in Russia. So make sure you go to centerclip.com and check out uh, the app and other incredible, um, I guess, policy experts, if you will, on a plethora of issues. I'm sure Michael Singleton will be right back after this quick break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The coup has come to a, a pause uh, with the Wagner Group, the official statement uh, from uh, Pritzko, the head of the Wagner Group and the leader of this coup, is that Putin has allegedly agreed to their demands and they are pausing their further track into Moscow, the capital of Russia. Uh, Joel Rubin, a former Obama Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, has stated that he does not believe this is going to last. Now, during the break, Joel and I were discussing a couple fascinating things that I think are really important and fundamental in understanding how we have arrived to the place that we currently are in, number one. And then number two, Joel is going to unpack why this is important. A lot of people have asked this question, why should we care about what's going on in Russia? We are sending a significant amount of money to Ukraine, billions and billions of dollars. When we have so many issues in the United States, this does not make any sense. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it makes a lot of sense. And Joel Rubin is going to unpack it and explain to you guys and myself why this matters to the United States and our overall interest. Joel, the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, look, you know, this is great. And look, sure, Michael, you, you, you know, you, you asked the, the core question about like, when, when have we seen this before? And it's where I put on my, my, uh, my age hat, right? But I was in college <laughs> when, I hate to admit it, but I was in college at the sort of 
the 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 pre and post end of the Cold War. So I was there at the period when the Berlin Wall fell, and it was just to, to try to contextualize. Prior to the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of the Cold War, every day was a fear of nuclear war. Mm -hmm. uh, between the United mm -hmm. States and the Soviet Union, we had 50,000 deployed strategic nuclear warheads, 50,000 nuclear weapons pointed at each other. Currently, there's about eight to 10,000 total, may maybe a little bit upwards of that. And we've had a lot of treaties since then. But at the peak, 50,000. And we were serious about it. Um, so when that country collapsed, it was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to the nukes? And President Bush was in the White House at the time and when it, uh, the first Bush. And when it collapsed, he and the, the CIA and others were talking to Russian leaders. And Boris Yeltsin, for example, stood up and said, I'll take over. But there were Russian generals that took over. And there was a lot of churn for multiple days in Moscow. And then it settled and Yeltsin took over and he was democratically elected as a mayor. He ended up helping to usher in some democracy for a period in Russia. But the nukes were still out there. And it took multiple years for the United States to diplomatically work with the then Russian Federation after the Soviet Union and all the countries that were part of the Soviet Union that broke away, including Ukraine, <laughs> Kazakhstan as well, Belarus. But these countries, and this is really the roots of the issue here, countries like Ukraine, Ukraine had nuclear weapons sitting in it that were Soviet nuclear weapons. And it took years. And we ended up cutting a deal with Ukraine and they took them out and they sent them back to Russia and some to the United States, and they no longer have nuclear weapons, thank God. But that's what happened, and that took years of patient diplomacy. And then Senator Dick Luger, Republican of Indiana, uh, 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 along with Senator Sam Nunn uh, of Georgia, Democrat, they led a program called Nunn Luger, which was to decommission nuclear weapons infrastructure in the former Soviet Union, decommissioning thousands of nuclear weapons, making the world safer. That was American diplomacy at its finest. Mm -hmm. And um, but it was frightening because no one really knew what could happen. No one knew and what so, could happen. That's right. No one, and, and notice what I'm saying here. I'm talking about the president's team and the Congress working together in concert in a bipartisan ma manner to secure American national security through diplomacy. That's what happened after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And so, um, you know, the heyday of, of that. I mean, when you fast forward it to why does this all matter? <laughs> why does it matter? It matters because of this. Because when you have countries that are massive, like Russia, and powerful with nuclear weapons and tremendous oil reserves, uh, some of the largest oil deposits on the planet, and when they go haywire, it directly impacts our security, our well-being, our, our, our sense of, of safety. It impacts our economic health. Uh, and then, of course, it's a, a, a sort of a, a deeply destabilizing eastern front to all of Western Europe, which is a close partner of the United States, uh, friends, allies, democracies and all, but really trading partner, 350, 400 million Europeans living freely. All of that is essentially because of investments in security and stability after World War II through NATO, and then after the fall of the Soviet Union through the diplomacy I described. And so that's why we're engaged. Like That's why the United States is working with NATO and other countries and supporting Ukraine is to cauterize the instability, to try to make sure that it doesn't spill and spread, to mm -hmm. be ready if something collapses like this. And I and guarantee Joe, you Joe, this is possible. Real quick, when, when people say and there is a growing – 
sect in our country right now, predominantly on um, the conservative side. But I'm starting to see this even on 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 the left, some with with some yes. pockets. Why are we so engaged here? Why are we spending so much money here? This isn't directly in the United States interest. And I'm seeing these beliefs grow in popularity. I don't agree with them based on my experience in politics, being a former presidential appointee, even though uh, the, the president I was under, we probably would differ on how to properly handle this. Uh, but nevertheless, I have a great appreciation for American American diplomacy across the globe because I understand that freedom and democracy is fragile. We saw that in our own country in 2020, right? 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. And so can you please explicitly address that for people who have that skepticism about us putting resources over there? monetarily, but also physical military resources. Because it's important, Joel, I think, that we educate people on this because there's too much false information spreading on why we're taking such a critical, careful role in assessment and our overall involvement in this part of the world. It matters. Oh, it matters. And you know what, Michael? the last I checked, the United States is not an island. That's right. We're part of the world. And the world will show itself if we don't engage it. Um, my formative experience on foreign policy was as a Peace Corps volunteer. So I, I, I served overseas after college for a couple of years in a remote village in Central America. And uh, the world knows that we are here and we need to know that the world is out there. And so in the case of Ukraine and in the case of supporting it, it's because at its core, there are bad actors around the world. And the United States, we were watching what was occurring. And when Vladimir Putin chose to invade Ukraine, just gets a very narrow rather than the big picture of like, why should America care about the world? There are many Mm -hmm. reasons why. But I'll tell you, when it came to Ukraine, it's because Vladimir Putin was directly threatening Europe and the safety, security and stability of the United States by extension. It was crucial to strengthen and secure our ally, Ukraine, in preventing that expansion. We are not fighting Russia directly. The United States is not sending troops there. And I know what that looks like when I served in the State Department in the Bush administration. I was there when we sent troops into, into Iraq. Disaster. That is not what's happening here. But what this means is that there are bad actors in the world. And if you don't stand up to those bad actors when you need to, with the tools and resources that you have at the appropriate time, they will win <laughs> and they will harm our interests. And our interests are what? I don't know. Having a, a quality uh, a quality way of life, having a strong economy, having a, a hopefully a cleaner environment, better health care, better education systems, you know, being able to be democratic, rule, control our destiny uh, uh, at the ballot box. All those things come into question, get threatened when you see countries uh, gobbling up other countries and heading towards us. And uh, and this is why it was so important. And it's really important just back to the bigger picture question uh, mm-hmm. for the U.S. to be in the world because we are people. We are human beings. We are part of this planet. We are an incredibly rich, multicultural society here in the United States. Uh, we have people from every corner of the world. 
our, our ability to thrive economically is connected to being part of a global economy. Our ability to have health care and health and safety. You know, look at the pandemic. We got hit from a, a, a disease that, that was spread from abroad and we had to, we have to, we had to deal with it. You know, there, there's so many dynamics that we would wish we could be isolated, but we're not. And so this means constantly engaging, constantly using our tools, our diplomacy, economic assistance, uh, military support in this case, when necessary to protect allies. This is what it takes to have a safe and secure and stable society. These are the costs. If you don't yeah. want that, you can isolate, you can withdraw, you can be like the United States in 1939, put your head in the sand and say the Nazis are no big deal, they're over there. It's not going to affect us. Or the Japanese, they're far away. It's not going to affect us. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Eventually, it all right, and, and eventually, it always does. Um, Joel, I want to. There's just some some new breaking news reports coming out here, and and we're guys. Uh, by the way, I'm getting Joel to sort of respond to this stuff in in real time. Uh, again, my my guest today, Joel Rubin, former Obama administration deputy assistant secretary of state. If you're just joining the show, welcome to the Sir Michael Singleton program. Uh, Joel is a co-creator, along with myself, on the CenterClip app. That's centerclip.com. I highly recommend that you check out the app if you want to hear more from Joel and so many others. So, Joel, I'm looking at this this report that just came out maybe five minutes ago now. It says, new report claims that Wagner uh, agreed to turn back from Moscow, which we already know. Um, but then it goes on to say Putin ordered Prigozhin, the head of the Wagner group, killed earlier today. So, I'm, Joe, I'm confused here. Why? Because Putin is not going to forget this. And I would imagine he's still going to try to have uh, Prigozhin killed. So why would they not continue? Joe, this doesn't make sense, man. I, I don't even know how to properly formulate a question here. You, you have to explain this to me. I am so confused by this. Well, there's no honesty amongst thieves, right? And and so these guys, I mean, uh, what this means is that Putin wants Prigozhin gone and wants the Wagner group to keep fighting for him. That's what it means. And, and sometimes you can't keep those two separate thoughts in your head and make them actually have make sense. I, I think this is why we're not this is not over. 
this is why we're going to continue to see unrest. Is Prigozhin going to what? Now all of a sudden start fighting Ukrainians again on behalf of Vladimir Putin for a war he denounced? Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. So this is this is this is just the this is just the, the appetizer the 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 beginning of the end not the end or the end of the beginning not the beginning of the end uh, and and people in the Kremlin are watching this battle quite closely you know Prigozhin's number one target has been the defense minister Shoika. Uh, of, of Russia. That's the person he's been uh, finger pointing as the problem, quote unquote. Well, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what, what does Putin do? Does Putin change his team? Does he bend to Prigozhin and, and, and rearrange all of his leadership? You know, the core problem here is that Vladimir Putin made a disastrous decision to invade Ukraine. And so all of this, this is the result. So all of this stems from the invasion of Ukraine. Without a doubt, up oh, until man. then, Putin was using the Wagner Group, and it's it's dark. Which the way he started, I started, by the way, right? Yes, it, it's very dark. <laughs> what I'm going to say, he has used God. the Wagner Group to take over swaths of Africa and commit grave human rights atrocities and steal minerals and resources from many parts of the world. The, the Wagner Group was his sort of uh, illicit uh, militia extension arm that he where he didn't have to send regular russian military but he was losing so badly in ukraine that he called on them to bail him out and now we're seeing the results so do you expect and you've already touched on this and i know we're, we're we have about eight nine minutes left uh, in the show do you expect this group to continue in ukraine do they say okay well you know we're, we're not fighting this anymore as as Prigozhin already said this is a BS war. Putin lied to us. We have had fighters on the ground here. We're literally invading these people for no reason. We're not going to fight Putin's war. What does Putin do then? Does he try to force them or, or Joel, and, and this, I don't know what the probability is here, but we have to, a- I have to ask this because this is a part of the reality in assessing this situation. Or could Putin to potentially use weapons of mass destruction and by that i I mean nuclear or biological well you know it's your michael i mean you you framed it so well right like look this is a catch-22 to the first point Uh, the wagner group Prigozhin, he's been complaining that he doesn't have enough good weapons so now what's going to happen is vladimir putin going to send him better weapons (laughs) you think that's going to be Putin's, (laughs) putin's like yeah oh you know what they almost took me out i'll give them better weapons not likely okay so <laughs> this this is not going to end well in this little this little drama here between them but and wmd i mean who's he going to nuke like the troops just outside of moscow you know i i don't think wmd is on on uh if anything the question about wmd is are the wagner guys going to go looking for their own nuclear weapon um oh well, yes oh god and this is not an unimagined scenario amongst military and intelligence planners uh historically meaning the last couple of decades we all thought al-qaeda islamic state who's going to get their hands on dirty bomb material maybe even steal nuclear weapon well guess what could be the Wagner group who knows so there's a lot underway happening right now and in fact quietly no one really it, it, it's talking about this too much but yesterday there was a meeting between top arms control officials between the Biden administration and Russia. Just can, to keep... can talk about that a little bit, Joel. What, what does that exactly mean when you say those conversations yep. happened? So there's a, a term of art called strategic stability, basically meaning 
we're not going to nuke you. You're not going to nuke us. And we're going to keep on talking so we don't have any accidents and by mistake, nuke the other. So strategic stability talks, ongoing arms control conversations. Those happened yesterday. Uh, and uh, it's very important that in the and the, in in the Cold War, with all the tension and stress and proxy fights, the U.S. and the Soviet Union still did have these conversations and talks, even at the height of the Cold War. Reagan engaged in nuclear arms discussions and nuclear arms control. So that did happen yesterday. Uh, it's not clear if Russia, you know, do they have total control? I would assume they do, but I'm not fully confident. But it's in it, this is the lesson learned from the collapse of the Soviet Union. When the the the, the crown collapses, you got to make sure you know where the crown jewels are, and the crown jewels are the nuclear weapons. And that would be my fear right now if I'm in the Pentagon and I'm looking scenarios. Uh, we look at Pakistan, for example, as a country that has nuclear weapons. If it were to collapse, what do we do about the nuclear weapons? Can we get them? Who do we work with? Same scenario planning right now is probably being discussed uh, at the Pentagon. Oh, man. Joe, and these are scenarios that, God forbid, no one wants to happen. But the reality is I had to ask you this question because it's a pertinent one that I would imagine. I mean, Secretary of State, that that's uh, foreign policy. That's not my area of expertise. But as I'm thinking about this, and we got five minutes left here, guys, as I'm thinking about this, I know that's going to be a part of the calculation. Joel, in about four minutes, can you break down the best case scenario here and the worst case scenario? Best case scenario and worst case scenario. Yeah, look, I, this, this, this is very clear. The best case scenario is that Vladimir Putin steps back from the brink on all fronts and says, I need to now engage directly with Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, to get an armistice, to get a truce, to stop and to negotiate a winding down of this war. This is not up to Zelensky. Zelensky is under siege. It's Vladimir Putin, and this has been consistent throughout the war period in the last eight, nine years, really. It's Vladimir Putin that has to recognize that he is literally on the precipice of getting getting uh, the, the Tsar Nicholas treatment, as they say in Russia, where um, that was the end of... of uh, of uh, Imperial Russia in 1917. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the way out is to begin to cut a deal. That is how he survives. That is a wily move. That could be the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is the alternative. He just digs in deeper and continues to move forward in the disastrous war that he's in. Russia continues to get pummeled on the battlefield. F-16s come in. The Wagner Group uh, is this wild card of chaos. And we potentially see a meltdown in the Russian leadership, uh, a routing potentially, and instability of the, the strategic assets of, of, of Russia, as, as we just talked about. And that that is a frightening potential outcome. And that's why I just got to say this on the domestic political front. It's so important to support NATO and our allies that can maintain security and stability in the case of these dynamics. And uh, I'm going to make a political argument, if I may. You no, know, ahead, when, when when Donald Trump took classified documents home with him that related to nuclear secrets, this is why you don't have those documents floating around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because no, that, that's you, a good point. You, you do not want people who are on the other side to know how you're planning to deal with the, the worst case scenarios. And that was a grave risk to our national security 
Uh, right now, thankfully, we have uh, adults in the White House when it comes to na- nuclear issues and national security. Biden was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for years. For a long time, yeah. He knows this stuff. He, nuclear weapons are a particular specialty of his. So um, he worked alongside uh, Dick Luger on those programs for years. I served in the Senate as a national security staffer, and he was the leader on these issues. So uh, uh, that's what's going on. And uh, I think we have to really hold on to our hats because it's going to get crazier rather than calmer in the next couple of months. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right, Joel. And and as I said, my biggest concern is if we do, if there's further conflict between the Wagner group and Putin, as you uh, surmise and predict it will be, and I think that's likely because if Putin put a hit out on this guy uh, and then hours later they have an agreement to not move, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, so I think you're right about further destabilization. My greatest concern, if we see that, what happens to the nuclear weapons in Russia? Yep. Is there a path for the United States to quickly get in there and get a hold on those things? Or does the Wagner group control them? And if they do, what does that mean? I mean, is this someone we can work with? I, I don't know, Joe. Absolutely not. <laughs> this is not someone that we should be cheering for right now. This is the worst. This is the anti-Yeltsin. Yeltsin, after the Soviet Union, claimed a democratic mantle and yep. wanted to work with us. Progosin is the, the, the diametrically opposite type of person. Well, look, Joe Rubin, ladies and gentlemen, my guest for the day, former Obama administration deputy assistant secretary of state. Again, deputy assistant secretary of state. That's a pretty important role. Uh, thanks, Joe, so much for helping me break this down. We got seconds left. Real quick, Joe, where can people follow you? Please follow me on Twitter at, at Joel Martin Rubin. Joel Martin Rubin. And I would love to answer any questions that anyone has. But sure, Michael, it was such a fun, deep, interesting conversation. You're a star. Thank you for including me today. Thank you so much, Joe. Stay tuned, guys. Coming up next, the Reese Colbert Show with her guest, Erica Savage. I'm sure Michael Singleton. Take care. Until next time.